We just got done doing uh, your second interval, which included uh, chopping some trees, throwing stones. How, uh, how are you feeling? Hey, podcast listener. You're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 132 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's chopping trees and throwing stones. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash green tea. Yes, we are starting with a review today from Australia from M Blackwell 8. Amazingly detailed and relevant. You'd think that the extraordinary detail this show delves into would make the show itself dry and advice hard to use, but every show has a nugget of wisdom and it never fails to make me think. I've come back to cycling after a 15-year hiatus, so I have a lot of catching up to do, and this show is the best source I've found for the newest thinking on squeezing maximum benefit from my limited training hours. Bam! Thank you very much, M. Blackwell. I hope that the comeback is going well, and yes, just like the reviewer last week, it is a brand new world. But if you like the show, I would love a review on either iTunes or Stitcher because five stars makes me go. Thank you very much. Now, performance probe number one. It is a study called The Impact of Circadian Phenotype and Time Since Awakening on Diurnal Performance in Athletes. Circadian rhythms, amongst other factors, have been shown to regulate key physiological processes involved in athletic performance. Personal best performance of athletes in the evening was confirmed across different sports. Contrary to this review, the researchers identified peak performance times in athletes to be different between human larks and owls. These are the circadian phenotypes that were divided in this study. And it is individuals with well-documented genetic and physiological differences that result in disparities between their biological clocks and how they react to external cues such as the environmental light-dark cycle and social factors. The researchers found time since awakening to be the major predictor of peak performance times rather than the time of day, as well as significant individual performance variations as large as 26% in the course of a day. So they established that the evaluation of an athlete's personal best performance requires consideration of circadian phenotype performance evaluation at different times of day, and analysis of performance as a function of time since awakening. So this was a really interesting study because a lot of people talk about it's best to train in the morning, it's best to train in the evening, during the day, whatever. But seems that it is, like most things in training, you will have an individual response to the time that you train based on your circadian phenotype. This does have a huge impact on your training more so than your racing, although it's in racing that you're looking for peak performance, you can't control it as much. And depending on your discipline, you can essentially race pretty much any time of the day and 
it may be the opposite of what your circadian phenotype is. So you can control your training much more than the events you ride in and definitely try and find where your natural rhythm lies rather than forcing it. I definitely believe in the natural rhythm that somebody has and I don't think it's in isolation though because for me it follows the theme that you are at these times using your best energy. You can use this energy for highly creative intellectual work or training. There is definitely a limited supply during the day and training can be as mentally draining as physically. So some days you'll just have to decide what you want more, the perfect training ride or another pursuit. Probe number two, insights from user-generated heart rate variability data. This is from a post that explores the data set from users of an Apple iOS heart rate variability application that you can download to get your actual heart rate variability by putting your finger on the camera lens of the phone and then going through the instructions that the app takes you through. I've touched on heart rate variability, HRV, in the past, but breaking it down with a big population like this is really going to help us understand the metric as it relates to training intensity. There is really not a lot of info out there at the moment, and currently it's enthusiasts and interested parties like this author that are moving the metric forward. So that's why I find it really fascinating when I come across an article like this. And data from 876 users was collected during 2014 out of the 876 users, 695 filled in their personal data, and this was the criteria for the author including them in this article. Average users of the app take four to five HRV measurements per week, which should be sufficient to get a stable HRV baseline according to the literature. And the users span over a wide range of ages, plus or minus 10 years from 40. However, they are mainly men around 87%. Adding to this, the app lets users provide input for the sport they practice. Running was the most common sport, followed by cycling, CrossFit, bodybuilding, and triathlon. Moving to the most interesting part, which is heart rate, heart rate variability, and training, he looks at the relationship between these three factors. Quoting the article, there are a few challenges when looking at user-generated data since I have no idea what users are doing, how they train, if they get injured, what's their fitness level, how they use the app, etc., etc. I need a reliable way to determine if HRV is of any use. I cannot look at data longitudinally since I cannot make assumptions on the user's conditions over time. However, the app does allow you to manually put in the intensity of the training. So he uses this instead. And the results, he says, are very similar to what he has previously found on his own data. This is, heart rate does not seem to be able to capture day-to-day changes in physiological recovery and therefore is a poor tool for guiding training. On the other hand, the changes in heart rate variability measurements between days following easy and intense training were marked and statistically significantly different. The difference is clear when looking at percentage differences in heart rate and heart rate variability. So heart rate variability shows much bigger deviations from baseline due to training. Here is an example. Heart rate variability change after easy training 
is a plus of 3.7%. Heart rate variability change after average training is minus 3.9%. And the change after intense training is minus 5.6%. So this follows the thinking and gives us some statistically significant numbers that show what we've been thinking about in relation to a higher number is better, a lower number is worse. The takeaways, user-generated data is messy. However, a few reference points, even manually annotated, are good enough to allow for data analysis and hypothesis validation. As expected, app users have relatively high heart rate variability values on average with respect to average population values reported in literature. Heart rate showed little variations with training intensity confirming to be a poor tool for guiding on a daily basis and heart rate variability changes on days following easy and intense training were significantly different, showing the effect of training intensity on heart rate variability and the effectiveness of heart rate variability to monitor physiological recovery. Those last two points are probably the most important out of all of that. So definitely keep going if you're using it because it's showing positive signs that it is able to capture the stress from training into a number, which can be really useful going forward. Alrighty, the nuts and bolts, and this week we're all about green tea. We've been digging into the murky waters of energy expenditure and fat oxidation recently, and I thought, why not keep it going with a look at a talk done at the Sports Nutrition Symposium within the 17th Annual European College of Sports Science Congress in 2012. It's called Green Tea by A. Hodgson. He is a leading researcher in this field. And before I hear you screaming at me, yes, green tea, green tea, yes. Bear with me, though, because this is definitely a little heavy on the details, but the research might be compelling enough for you to go out and buy some green tea extract as soon as we're done. So let's start with the basics. What is green tea? Well, green tea originates from the plant Camellia sinensis. By taking the leaf from the plant, it is possible to prevent oxidation and fermentation by pan frying and withering. The reason you want to do this is because it preserves a high quantity of catechin polyphenols. And these are really important. There's a whole bunch of them. There are four main ones, though with the most pharmacologically active and most abundant within green tea being epigallocatechin gallate, let's just say EGCG for short. It actually accounts for 40 to 50% of dried weight. Green tea is the one that everybody's going after because it is these catechins that are showing the most promise across a few different areas, which we're going to touch on. But the areas we aren't going to touch on are the number of proven health benefits for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer, gut health, and anti-obesity effects. All of this may be due to the catechin content anywhere from 100 to 300 milligrams a cup, but caffeine is also present containing 35 to 80 milligrams a cup. The dose varies based on the processing and the origin of the tea itself. So the first kind of thing that you probably have heard about with green tea is weight loss. And it is one of the most researched effects of green tea is its effects on weight loss, specifically drawing in human data. 
There have been 16 studies investigating weight loss in humans. The subjects varied between Asian and Caucasian populations and obese and overweight people. The green tea extract dose in these studies has been anywhere between 270 to 1200 milligrams a day. Caffeine dose anywhere from 75 to 237 milligrams per day and supplementation duration anywhere from 3 to 24 weeks. There was a meta-analysis conducted by Rick Hersel called the effects of green tea on weight loss and weight performance, a meta-analysis that looked at the different outcomes of the effect of green tea on weight loss and weight maintenance that have been reported in studies with subjects differing in ethnicity and habitual caffeine intake. And when you put all these studies together, you can see that over a long period of time, the green tea extract actually produced a weight loss of around 1.3 kilograms. This effect was dependent on the population, so a larger effect size was seen in Asian subjects versus Caucasian subjects, and a larger effect was seen in those that had a lower habitual intake of caffeine. That's important to remember, but we'll get onto that later. When green tea extract is taken over a long period of time, weight loss could be explained through increased energy expenditure and fat oxidation. For endurance athletes, this is where the benefit lies. And as we have discussed recently in episodes 130 and 131, fat oxidation is highly important to an endurance athlete as part of the energy expenditure system that we have in our bodies. So if this is going to facilitate that process, then this is the benefit for endurance athletes. And it's not only the fat oxidization during exercise, but also at rest so we can be lean and get the performance of a better power to weight ratio. So this is the main reason that I'm doing an episode on it today. But there's a lot that goes into this. So let's break it down even further. Short versus long-term effects. So if we're thinking about short-term supplementation of green tea extract, then we're talking anywhere between 24 hours to seven days. But if we're talking long-term, we're talking anywhere between one to 10 weeks of supplementation. Of course, you can extend beyond the 10 weeks, which some studies have done. So starting at short-term green tea intake at rest, there have been six studies for short-term intake at rest, and these studies were included in another meta-analysis done by Rick Hersel in 2011. It was called The Effects of Catechin-Rich Teas and Caffeine on Energy Expenditure and Fat Oxidation, a meta-analysis. The studies in this meta-analysis looked at green tea supplements with or without caffeine, caffeine-only supplements, and they were double-blind and randomized study designs. When looking at resting energy expenditure, they saw a 5% increase in resting energy expenditure for green tea and the caffeine-only trial. When looking at fat oxidation, there was a much larger variation in response between each of the studies. Overall, they saw a 16% increase compared to placebo. They didn't see this effect for caffeine only though, which could suggest that the metabolic effects of green tea are independent of caffeine. These results are encouraging, but a number of studies showed no effect compared to placebo. Some recent studies also showed a similar effect, which as a result, the effects mentioned may not be able to be seen in individual studies, only when combining studies in a meta-analysis like this. 
Moving on to long-term intake at rest. Currently, there really is a lack of studies that have gone through this. There was a study conducted in 2008, though, that took obese individuals and supplemented them for 12 weeks. It was called Body Weight Loss and Weight Maintenance in Relation to Habitual Caffeine Intake and Green Tea Supplementation. They wanted to investigate the effect of a green tea caffeine mixture on weight maintenance after body weight loss in moderately obese subjects in relation to habitual caffeine intake. They showed at 8 weeks and at 12 weeks that resting energy expenditure was significantly different to the placebo And this study also supported what we saw in the findings from Herschel's first meta-analysis that the effects of green tea extract may be reduced in individuals with high habitual caffeine intake. And this is defined as greater than 300 milligrams of caffeine per day, around three cups if you're drinking the strong stuff. Conclusions so far from green tea extract intake at rest are short-term green tea extract intake has been shown in a small number of studies to increase resting energy expenditure and fat oxidation. This difference may only be observed in large sample sizes through a meta-analysis. Fewer studies are available to show that long-term green tea extract increase resting energy expenditure and fat oxidation and complex interaction may exist between catechins and caffeine. This is because of the habitual caffeine intake of less than 300 milligrams a day is important. Okay, so moving on to short-term green tea intake with exercise. This is where it starts to get more interesting for us, well, in some ways. Can green tea extract and exercise add a further effect to the results found when at rest? The first study on this was conducted by Michelle Venables called Green Tea Extract Ingestion, Fat Oxidation and Glucose Tolerance in Healthy Humans. They wanted to investigate the effects of acute ingestion of green tea extract on glucose tolerance and fat oxidation during moderate intensity exercise in humans around probably the fat max fat burning zone. So two studies were performed both with a counterbalanced crossover design. Study one, 12 healthy men performed a 30-minute cycling exercise at 60% of maximal oxygen consumption before and after supplementation. Study B, 11 healthy men took an oral glucose tolerance test before and after supplementation in the 24-hour period before the experimental trials. Participants ingested three caffeine-free capsules containing either green tea extract totaling 890 milligrams of polyphenols and 366 milligrams of EGCG or a cornflower placebo. So what were the results? There was an average fat oxidation of 17% higher after ingestion of the green tea extract than after ingestion of the placebo. A 17% increase in fat oxidation during exercise. That is massive So the conclusion of this study was that acute green tea extract ingestion can increase fat oxidation during moderate intensity exercise and can improve insulin sensitivity and glucose tolerance in healthy young men. But don't get carried away too far because another study done by Dean et al. in 2009 showed that six days of EGCG only 
So the supplementation didn't contain all the catechins, showed no effect on fat oxidation during 60 minutes of exercise at 60% of VO2 max. So going off the difference found in these two studies and others, we can't really conclude the benefit of green tea extract during exercise just yet. So let's get to long-term green tea intake with exercise. And again, there is a limited number of studies that have looked into this in humans. It has been shown by Otter et al. that two months of walking exercise training, which is at five kilometers an hour for 30 minutes, three times per week, plus 570 milligrams of green tea extract after the exercise bout caused a higher fat oxidation during exercise. This starts to show the link between combining exercise and green tea extract over the long term, but will this mean a performance increase? There have been three studies that have looked at this using a time trial protocol and acutely there has been no response. Bam! So, There is definitely a few questions still unanswered. Number one, is there a difference between short-term and long-term green tea extract intake during exercise? Number two, do metabolic differences exist at rest and during exercise following green tea extract intake? And number three, what are the mechanisms of green tea extract? Okay, so going back now to short versus long-term green tea intake, to try and answer the question, is there a difference between short and long-term green tea extract during exercise, a study conducted by Randall et al. called Number Effect of 1 or 7 Days of Green Tea Extract Ingestion on Fat Oxidation During Exercise. The aim of this study was to investigate the effects of 1 and 7 days of green tea extract ingestion on whole body fat oxidation during moderate intensity exercise. Now this is starting to get super cool. 31 men completed two exercise trials, a 60-minute cycle at 50% of what max After the baseline trial on day zero, subjects were randomly assigned to one of three conditions involving a weak supplementation of the following. So the first group had seven days of a placebo. The second group had six days of a placebo followed by one day of green tea extract. And the third group had seven days of green tea extract ingestion. The morning after the supplementation week, subjects consumed an additional supplement and completed a second exercise trial on day 8. VO2 and VCO2 measurements were taken during exercise to calculate whole body oxidization rates, blood samples for analysis of plasma, fatty acids, glycerol, and ECGC were collected at rest and during exercise. So the green tea extract that they were actually taking included 1,120 milligrams of catechins, 420 milligrams of EGCG, and 240 milligrams of caffeine in two by 330 milliliter iced tea drinks taken in the morning and evening one hour before breakfast and one hour before dinner. So what were the results? On day 8, the plasma kinetics and maximal plasma concentrations of EGCG were similar in the green extract one day group and the green extract seven day group. One day of green tea extract ingestion did not affect markers of the chemical reactions and pathways resulting in the breakdown of lipids during the exercise bout. So no fat oxidation. Seven days 
of green tea extract ingestion significantly increased plasma glycerol during exercise and plasma fatty acid concentration during exercise as well as rest. However, fat oxidation did not change in any of the groups. You may get from this that there are different metabolic effects following shorter and long-term intake. One day resulted in no significant differences in fat oxidation, even the seven-day group there was no significant difference in fat oxidation during the exercise bout itself. So that doesn't help us. But they also looked at the metabolic rates, effects of green tea extract at rest and during exercise in a study called Metabolic Response to Green Tea Extract During Rest and Moderate Intensity Exercise. What they found in this study was 238 different metabolites, Metabolites are a substance formed in or necessary for metabolism. They were found during exercise and rest. There were metabolites found that represent fat oxidation and energy metabolism. The effect of metabolite changes from rest on exercise, they saw an increase in markers of glycolysis, which is the breakdown of glucose by enzymes, releasing energy and pyruvic acid, such as lactate and pyruvate, and a reduction of fat oxidation. So there was definitely a change in what was happening when you were resting or when you were exercising. This could mean that there could be a clear difference to the metabolic effects of green tea extracts from rest to exercise. The data is still inconclusive though on those dose relationships and there are no hard and fast guidelines for the amounts of green tea extract you have and the weight you should expect to lose. So in summary, after all of that, what have we learned today? Green tea extract has shown some promise as a supplement to induce weight loss. This is explained by an increase in energy expenditure and fat oxidation. There is more promise during resting situations compared to exercise, but there are discrepancies in the literature. Current dose compositions, caffeine and catechins, and duration of use is unknown. Future studies should consider the methods to measure fat oxidation, the bioavailability, which is the proportion of the substance that enters the circulation when introduced into the body and is able to have an active effect, the bioavailability of green tea extract and the population being tested. Mechanisms of green tea extract may be very different following short and long-term intake and future human intervention trials are needed to support the punitive in vitro, which is something that takes place in a test tube or a culture dish outside of a living organism, and there's more evidence needed outside of in vitro. So what is my conclusion here? Does this mean that you should rush out and buy some green tea extract? Well, my answer is it depends, which is pretty much the answer to every question when you're talking training or nutrition or supplementation, because the jury here is still out on the exact protocol that you would use. The results are somewhat encouraging, but it definitely depends on your goals, your weight, and other factors such as your diet. Sure, it can't hurt, but definitely be careful. There could be adverse effects, which you should check with a doctor before dosing up on green tea extract. Another thing, if you are going to take it, make sure there's a gap between when you take it and when you eat. Because when having green tea extract with food, there may be reduced concentration in circulation, which may minimize the metabolic response. And also because we're not sure of the relationship with the micronutrients and other factors found in food. 
So are you going to go out and buy some? Have you been using some? I'm really keen to know. Drop me a note in the show comments and let me know if this has worked for you. Alrighty, the tech hacks and products section. It's a hack this week and the hack is use a hypoxia mask on a trainer when you're doing a bike fit. The reason is that it will put you under stress and you will be able to see quickly or quicker when your form breaks down. So don't use it for training for any reason like that. Just use it to put your body under that much stress that you break down quicker and the person doing the bike fit can really quickly get a sense of what isn't working when you're under stress and then you can make changes from there. And now that quote from the top of the show, it's Matt Steinmetz, Tom Danielson's trainer for the day. The clip is called Tom Danielson, Sub-Threshold Efforts Up Flag Stuff. It's a good look at a medium intensity training day for a climber, and he is totally bullshitting about chopping trees and throwing stones. Here's what he was actually doing. So you were, you were doing a series of standing and sitting repetitions. Um, why do you like that workout? Yeah, I, that one I didn't take away and say too structured. Yeah, just force yourself out of the saddle for certain amounts of time and then stay in the saddle certain amounts of time. Just kind of past your comfort zone and just train some muscle groups and everything. Climb like Flagstaff, um, there's really no rhythm. It's really steep and inconsistent, uncomfortable, and it's hard to be in rhythm. So doing that workout forces you to, to find a rhythm in areas that uh, really try to make break your rhythm up. So it's a lot like a race where, you know, everything's uncomfortable and everything seems impossible and you find a rhythm. So. And that's it. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash green tea to find any links used in this week's episode. But that's it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 